the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host, and our guest today needs no introduction, political commentator, political analyst for MSNBC, former lieutenant governor of Maryland, and the former chair of the RNC, Michael Steele. Welcome back to Planted. Hey, Sarah. Sarah, it's good to be back in the neighborhood. Thank you so much. Hope you're doing well. Oh, doing great. And it's great to catch up with you. We had so much fun last year. Yes. And yeah. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. We're sitting here on a beautiful Tuesday. Well, morning for me, but afternoon for you. Having some yes. coffee. Yep. <laughs> Take a sip. That's right. <laughs> Take a sip and then a dip. And go ahead. All that good stuff. Other, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> exactly. So we've got an exciting year ahead of us. And before we get into all of the stuff with cannabis and policy, what do you think about this new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson? Yeah, so so yeah, Mike Johnson is um, a peculiar uh, bird um, on a, for a number of reasons on a number of levels. I mean, he's a, a backbencher in the House, meaning someone who's largely not in the mainstream of operationalizing public policies, not someone who's out there uh, defending or promoting a particular piece of legislation. You know, he's a guy who basically on the back bench, um, you need his vote, he raises his hand. The fact that he's that he had sort of uh, articulated his way to the speakership uh, I think is uh, indicative of just how much the, the MAGA forces inside the party have solidified their power and their ability to um, not only remove a speaker, Kevin McCarthy, but install one of their own, um, which he is. He also brings to the table the, the added feature of being a white Christian nationalist. Um, so that that other element of making God the central force behind the bad uh, public policy positions like, um, you know, nationalizing uh, a six week ban on abortion, um, things of that nature, um, that is something that we're now even among Republicans trying to understand and come to grips with what it actually means and how it plays out. They've given him a, a lot more runway than they gave Kevin to negotiate the the recent um, budget deal with the administration, which is now um, working its way through the Senate um, and the president's signature. So there are, you know, um, there are these features that, that, uh, he brings to the table that are going to be different than what we saw with a Kevin McCarthy, uh, for example, uh, and certainly what you've seen with prior speakers. Uh, when someone asks him, um, what is your political philosophy? And his response is, read the Bible. That will tell you where I stand. That should tell all of us a lot. <laughs> but does he eat shellfish? Well, that's a good question. And, you know, does he, you know, uh, you know, uh, allow for his his brother to be punished because he, you know, 
mows his lawn on a on a Sabbath. I, I don't. I, who knows? I mean, it's it, when you when that's your frame of reference in terms of your responsibility as a pub, public official, let alone a speaker. Um, that to me is disturbing, and I say that as a as as a Catholic Christian. Um, and I hearken back to the days. Could you imagine if John F. Kennedy was asked, "Well, what's your view on X?" and he said, "Well, you know, what did the Pope say?" <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, the, the the country would lose its collective mind, and and yet now it yawns um, at such a thing. And so that that is telling um, that you don't have people um, exercised about the disintegration of the very important wall between between church and state yeah uh, which i think he represents uh in in terms of political leadership uh, the manifestation of that disintegration i i, I it's a very interesting conundrum because um i i have a family that's very very politically split i grew up in a republican household right and, and then as things started to change, my my mother started voting Democrat. Now I've always voted Democrat, but you know it's it's one of those things where like I have her her family members, her two sisters had become we and I and I grew up Lutheran, mm -hmm. so it was a Christian Republican family, and my my aunts became very religious religious i'll say because mm -hmm. i don't think a lot of this stuff that's going on i don't believe that christ would come here today and be like this is great let's go with this of course i'm not his speaker i, right. I don't, I don't right. get you know right. you're not his national spokeswoman right exactly, exactly. <laughs> but i i find it really interesting because you know my mother has been very bothered by some of the things that she had heard in conversations with her sisters but then she'll say and, and the churches that they go to talk a lot about these things, too, especially about right. supporting former President Trump and a lot of anti-LBGTQ things. And to be quite honest, some things that have a very racist leaning, which right. is why, though I care about them, we don't talk. And right. I think that that's right. common in a lot of families. Right. But my mother will always say, I believe in God and I'm a religious woman who goes to church. And, and I'm always like, listen. They, what's being dictated in these churches is not religion. It is a way of blackmailing people to not say anything and believe a certain way. And it's almost well, like, it's, what do you think? Yeah, of that? yeah. You you raise an interesting point because I, you know, I I've, I've reflected on this and and continue to reflect on it on a number of levels. Um. And I will just put this out here this way. If the Christ we know from the New Testament, okay, start there, came back today uh, in his physical form, what would he say about what he saw? I do not think he would condemn the LGBTQ individual very much as he did not condemn uh, women um, and tax collectors and others who had been marginalized and outcast in Jewish society and Roman society. 
uh, at the time. I do think he would hold accountable the the Christian leaders who flap their lips and, and their gums, who seemingly know more about him uh, than he does, <laughs> as evidenced by how Christ tried to, how Christ not tried to, but did inform the thinking of the Pharisees and the scribes and the temple leaders uh, who, you know, showcase their prayers while their behaviors and their and their uh, attitudes were not reflective of God's will. And I think that that would be what we would see. And I think that that Christ would be rejected by church leaders today. Yeah. I... And the reason I say that, because they already have. And why do I say that? If you read the story, I think it was in Newsweek a few weeks ago, in which evangelicals were questioning the teachings of Christ in the New Testament as being too woke. So wow. the Beatitudes are too woke. Um, the, you know, the lessons that, that Christ imparted um, are too woke. So it gives me at least a sense of where all of this is. Um, I have never been one to wear my religion on my sleeves because of my understanding of a number of stories that Christ shared with us and teachings about how we should behave. Um, and that's particularly during Lent, where you talk about do not wear your your um, you know uh, your garments and the you know the visual effects of penance on yourself as you walk the streets, sort of flagellating and oh I am sinful, look at me, look at me, look at me, right? Right. Uh, but you know, steal yourself away uh, with your father and in prayer, and that's you know kind of the kind of the truth of it. Um, but it's it's an interesting point that you raise in how, you know, individuals approach faith. And a lot of that today has shifted in that our faith, our value system, our politics, not our politics, uh, because those things informed our politics, right? How, what we believed and, and um, how we behaved, um, you know, the way we looked at the world would inform our politics and it would help us form policies that were consistent with those values. So, you know, you get public policy around healthcare, you get public policy around education, you get pol public policy around um, women's rights and so forth. Today, our politics informs those very same things. And our politics are oriented away from the value of you as a woman to decide for yourself your health care, whether it includes or does not include an abortion, right? Whether it includes or does not include how you uh, approach uh, certain issues. Um, our politics informs um, how I'm valued and seen um, as a black man, um, whether or not my history has value enough to be taught and to be read about in books uh, and to be understood by future generations in the context of America's uh, overarching 
uh, story of 400 plus years. And so that that's a very different space we find ourselves in right now. And I think that a lot of Americans are um, trying to figure out how to reconcile that, but in other, in other instances are actually kind of giving into it. And that's the part for me that's really disturbing. And that's how Donald Trump has as much value to them as he does, because he's become much more of a meme, an attitude, of a, a, um, a way for them to express outwardly what they're what they feel he's given them permission to feel and believe and behave a certain way that their mother would otherwise be spanking their tails for right <laughs> yes yes <laughs> it is it had it had has given people permission to behave in the ways that perhaps they felt in the darkest crevices of their being sure sure yeah, it, I I I often wonder if some of this has to do with the fact that there's been so much work in the past few years around, you know, when people say minorities, it's like, well, we're not minorities anymore, you know. Let's let's change this language. Or when I was working in civil rights, you know, when President Obama was elected, and all of a sudden we had the worst time getting our development department suffered because people were like, we don't have civil rights issues anymore. We have a black president. It's all over, you know? And it's, and it almost seems like there's, you know, this very small group of people that think that, you know, they have to give something up so that we live in a more equitable society, which is, which is not true. Well, that's actually, that's always been an animator for the horrors that uh, have, been inflicted upon the world by men. Um, and what we, I don't mean men as a, as a, you know, a gender thing, but I just broadly speaking um, by mankind, humankind, um, we somehow d- disregard the, the experiences and the condition in which individuals find themselves and this which is what makes the teaching of the bible so essentially important because think about it's a radical idea to care for the poor it's a radical idea to feed the hungry it's a radical idea to heal the sick it's a radical idea to educate the uninformed um and it shouldn't be. And so those those teachings of of Christ um, and and others, other prophets and 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 men and women who um, who have spoken to the condition of humankind, that they're somehow viewed as radicals. I mean, Christ was a radical for his time for saying what he did. And and yet today, that idea is still radical, and we see it played out in how our government and the institutions that we've created respond to the poor, how difficult it is to care for them and to provide for them. And the fact that somehow, because I have, I don't want to share, um, because I have, 
I don't want you to take for me. You know, it's a zero sum proposition. And the reality of it is, Sarah, that's not how it's how it's supposed to be, because all these resources are here for all of us. And if we are able to magnify them in a way uh, that that generates benefit, then yeah, that that benefit should go to all of us. But somehow, you know, we have allowed a system and systems to arise that decide because you are poor, you, and Christ said it, because of the way you are, because of your condition, you will always have the poor amongst you. Meaning, because you won't do the things you need to do so that there won't be the poor. <laughs> I mean, he, he told us, he told us, well, okay, you're going to be like this, and you're always going to have poor people. You always have, but until, and you won't until you decide to live out these teachings, to, to behave this way. Um, and if you start to do that, then you'll begin to see the impact uh, of that action. Um, and when I hear evangelicals today, especially, and when I hear, uh, you know, Catholic conservatives uh, within my own faith um, sound not like Christ, but like Donald Trump, oh my, I have a word for them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a good word. Um, and they they are apostate. They are they are um, the very thing that Christ warned us about. And I think that that is that's something that yeah we got down this sort of religious road here, but that's something that I think a lot of a lot of people in faith traditions, not just Christian faiths. Um, or a uh, particular faith like faith like mine, the Catholic Church, um, are going to have to come to grips with. Um, there's a reason why people are walking away. There's a reason why people um, have stopped believing. It's not because of anything Christ said, but because of how man has behaved. Yeah. And what man has said. So yeah anyway, no i i that's, that's church for for <laughs> tuesday afternoon <laughs> like having a little church on my tuesday <laughs> yeah i earlier this year um i had stevie van zant from the east street band on really oh yeah. my god yes we had nice. so much on well, well he's he has a, a cannabis uh brand on yeah, the East Coast. I'm familiar. You know, so we talked about that for like 15 minutes, but then you know how he is. We like got into politics and it was just, <laughs> it was a lot of what we were just talking about because I That was, is so wild. Oh, it was, it was really cool. And I really, I, when I think about like, gosh, if the three of us had a conversation, that would be very <laughs> interesting. <laughs> well, you got to set, you got, I call those a barbershop when I, when I do, when I have like more than one guest on at a time because the, it has this sort of, I always try to recreate the feel of, I mean, you've never been in, in a barbershop because you, you know, that's a whole different experience. Uh, but, you know, in it, particularly in, in the black neighborhood, the barbershop was like the town hall. I mean, you get the fellas in the room and and it just, it, you never know where it was going to go. And, and so I, when you get to create, recreate something like that, it's always so much fun. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's a real hoot. So yeah, that would be a wonderful, so if you ever want to 
get him back and get me on, I'd, I'd make that happen. <laughs> oh, we, we've got to, we've got to, is, you know, cause it, it's, it's just that whole thing of like, you know, we can, we can talk about cannabis and, and for our listeners, we will um, yeah. stay tuned, but all it's, right. it's also intermingled, especially when, you know, people are approaching it from like, a, from, you know, there, there are so many things because we look at, you know, civil rights, we look at equity, we look at creating generational wealth, we look at creating alternatives for healing. And then we also look at, you know, the wrongs that have been done in the past, like, our, well, your friend, but one of my just dream girls, Rachel Maddow. <laughs> yeah, I love Rachel. I just she just did my podcast. We talked about her book, uh, Prequel, oh. uh, which is an, a phenomenal book. Um, I would highly recommend picking it up if you really want to get a, uh, a contemporary and historic understanding of what we're going through because we have been here before and Americans have dallied much more with fascism than we like to think mm -hmm. or believe about ourselves. We have amongst us a very strong fascist strain of, um, of, of Americans out there. And I think it's important that we understand this. So she lays it all out, but yeah, go ahead, Rachel. She, she's just one of a kind when it comes oh, to this stuff. Brilliant, brilliant woman. I'd say I want to be her when I grow up, but I'm, right? I'm, I'm old enough that I should. <laughs> <laughs> but she went one night when I was watching, she was talking about, um, you know, what was happening, especially with FDR and Prescott Bush and yep. all that. And I thought, that's just that's like the same it's a it's the same time of the things that were happening with you know William Randolph Hearst and um DuPont and right. Anslinger and what they were doing with cannabis policy like the prohibition to so we were dealing with not only you know we we're dealing with fascism and then they were also adding that additional thing of let's demonize of substance and direct it towards right. you know black and brown folks so that we can shut it down and now we're looking at trying to change a lot of the damage that's been done yeah i mean the, the, i mean the there's there are a lot of parallels um in the cannabis space uh, and the issues around cannabis, for example, to obviously alcohol, but also other things that we see that aren't related to um, the use of a substance, but also to broader communities of people, um, how we're, we're trying to uh, demonize transgender children um, who, yeah, they're dealing with a lot of issues all at once. Um, and instead of, and then this even goes to some parents who may have overreacted with respect to their, their trans child because they did not have information or they had too much information. There, there are these reactions that, that flow from all of this. And then when it gets into the broader public space and how people hear it and perceive it, then attitudes begin to get shaped and formed. And if you don't have the right voices in those conversations from the beginning, you wind up with, for in the case of cannabis, 
uh, it being, you know, the devil's seed and um, a danger, the gateway drug to all the worst drug kind of drugs in the world. Yeah, this sort of horrific, you know, narrative from the early 1930s mm-hmm. that permeates uh, well into uh, the 20th, 21st century. And similarly with how people look at issues related to um, their sexual identity. Um, And that, you know, that's not something that's innate. You were groomed that way. You were groomed to be gay. You were groomed to be trans. Um, You know, your parents put you on these, on this, on these pills that changed your body shape. And I'm like, you know, so these narratives are formed um, and unless you have competent voices that are in space to say, okay, time out. First, that's stupid. <laughs> Second, uh, here are the facts. Um, and this is the truth. Then you're going to find, even as the cannabis market continues to expand and grow, and this is something that I've talked about at various conferences in the past, as that, as that, Uh, space expands and grows, that market expands and grows, you're going to find you've not sufficiently dealt with the ignorance. You've not sufficiently dealt with those who um, continue to perpetuate lies about it. Uh, And at the same time, you don't equip yourselves to be uh, informed and prepared when something does go sideways. Someone does something inappropriate or misbehaves or something, you know, tragic happens, like a young child gets a hold of a, you know, a pack of gummies and and overdoses because they ate all these gummies thinking it was candy and it was actually cannabis and they were only, you know, three years old and, you know, and that had an impact. And and so people, people want to use moments like that to make the broader ugly narrative, see, I told you so, this is a danger, this is a threat, we need to shut it all down and Again, it's God, you know, it's God's curse and and wrath and it's the devil's seed and all those things start coming back. So it does matter how how and you know all of these uh lanes in our society and our culture that um have evolved over time and continue to evolve, how the broader society understands those moments and what they mean and 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 how prepared we are to uh, to be honest about what it is and what it isn't. Yeah, I feel like there are there are some simple truths that people should have. Like one, we should keep educating people because it seems like adult continuing education just generally not going to school. There's no funding for. Right. S- secondly, I just wish people would be like, hey. If you're going to point your finger at somebody who's not hurting anyone else, why don't you look within and mind your business? Right. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, it just seems like there's there's so much of that right now because I it frightens me to see how, you know, people come to conclusions on how they should treat people or making people less than so they feel better about themselves. And we see this in – I never thought I'd see the day where – in politics, it looks like a damn playground where it's like the mean kids like kicking one another. Like I, I how Michael, how do you deal with 
being in a party that's imploding and that, you know, they're, it's just different than what you signed up for. I mean, how do you, how do you deal with the children that are like making a fool of themselves and not actually serving their constituents? Well, you, you, part of that, you, you really, I mean, I can't affect your behavior. Yeah. I can only point it out. Right. I, and maybe that does on the back end affect it, but in the, in the main, I'm not, if your orientation is towards hate, um, there's not much I can say or do to change that. Yeah. Um, but what I can do is I can point it out to others. I can show you for who you are because you're telling us who you are. Um, so I don't have to be the one and say, oh, that individual is a racist or that individual is misogynist or that per individual is this, that, or the other thing. They're telling you that. And they're telling you willingly. Yeah. The challenge we all have is why don't we believe it? Why don't why don't we believe when Donald Trump says, I am the retribution? I'm coming back because I, I want to pay get payback because you took the election from me. I didn't lose. And people go, Oh, he's just kidding. He doesn't matter. It does. I'm like, no, he's telling you what he wants to do. So why don't you believe him? And if and, and if what he says doesn't raise concerns for you, then I'm concerned about you <laughs> because the issue no longer is Trump. It's you because behind you is a hundred and behind them is a thousand and behind them is 10,000 and behind them is a hundred thousand who believe what you believe. And so that's, that's where we find ourselves. So it, it, it's, you know, the, the, again, a connecting a dot to our, the first part of our conversation the man Jesus never came here and said, shame on you for behaving that way. What he said was, this is how you should behave. This is what you should do. Love your neighbor as yourself. At the end of the day, that's the bottom line. Right. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't a judgmental thing he didn't it wasn't he didn't come in judgment he just came to point out okay you are doing this but you can do better right and and so that's that's kind of what we all are saying okay it's like when you reference like you know your family members like yeah i don't want to talk to them fine i get it but at a certain point maybe it would be helpful just to kind of point out say Really? That, that you really believe that this is what the country should look like? Yeah. That a woman who doesn't even know she's pregnant at six weeks, when she finds out in the eighth week or the ninth week that she's pregnant, has now been told that she is forced to carry a child that was conceived by a rape or by incest or a means that, um, you know, she at this point is like, no, I can't can't do this um, for whatever value and reason she has that you can sit in judgment over her. You're, you're now putting yourself in her place and deciding for her. Um, that's really what you want because when it's your turn 
when it happens to you, are you really prepared to have others judge that decision for you and decide for you in that moment? Uh, no, we, we won't allow you to do that. This is not like running a stop sign or a red light, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, everyone can, can say, well, you know, why'd, why'd you do that? I mean, come on, seriously, you shouldn't do that because you can hurt someone, right? Um, this is, this is, this has far reaching and, and impacts, uh, impacts on you and family and community in a way uh, that are very personal and very much should be left to you to decide um, how you make that decision. Um, I wouldn't want someone coming in and telling me, you know, or my community, what books my kids can read. All right. I know that I can't teach my children or my teach my kids can't learn about their black history and their ancestors and the communities that they're from. Um, the men and women who shaped this country because somebody's afraid to tell that story who, who is not even from this community. Um, you know, so there, all of these things kind of come into play. And, and I guess the question, whether you're talking about, you know, issues related to individual liberties around cannabis or individual liberties around learning, um, the, the central thread is the individual liberty. <laughs> That's that's the piece. That's it. That's the piece. That's the thing that makes America still attractive to folks because somehow through all the crazy stuff, we still believe in that, presumably. Um, but where but does your your where does your fis fiscally conservative citizen who believes in other people's rights go now that you see, you yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot there. Obviously, there's a lot that has to be unpacked um, in these in these big questions. But at the core of them, for me, it's a it's the individual liberty and the individual right to decide um, what's in my best interest, the best interests of my family. Um, I'm not going to begrudge your decisions as long as they don't impact mine. Yes. And and the going back to your playground analogy how you work that out on the playground is that you have adults who shut down the bullies and protect the kids who are otherwise bullied and restore order and keep the peace, um, employ the discipline. Mm -hmm. Those individuals throughout our history have largely been our politicians, the men and women we elect to represent our interests and to represent us on that playground. Uh, and when they become no better than the bullies, when they become allies with the bullies, when they become the perpetrators of bad behavior, illiberal behavior, um, restrictions of rights and liberties, um, condemning individuals because of who they are and who they love, then we need to have a wholesale reevaluation of why and how we're doing this, which is why the ballot box becomes so important. Mm -hmm. People vote your interest, vote your desires, but vote. 
It's no matter so how you cut it, because if you don't, that is the one that's the that is the one superpower we all have. And when you see in states like Georgia and and elsewhere where they're cleaving back your ability to do that, ask yourselves, why is that happening? Why are you making it harder for me to exercise that superpower as opposed to creating lanes where I can access that superpower more freely? Uh, and, and it's because they don't want you to use that superpower because it is the one thing that will take them out. And it's I, the one thing that will take them out. It's important to to realize that because so many people are fatigued and they're thinking that their vote and their voice don't count, and they do. And yes. that's that's why there's such a push with you know, taking away voting rights. Absolutely, your your voice and your vote always count. It has always count, even when your candidate loses by a hundred thousand the f- votes. The fact that you voted. Um, sends a message. It sends, it puts your voice in play. It articulates um, in a direct way your rights uh, as a citizen to to be a part of um, the story. And the system is designed, it has become designed in the latter half of the 20th century and well into this century to mitigate against that, to to make it harder, to create disincentives, to make you feel like it doesn't count. Um, because they want the numbers to go in the opposite direction. They don't want more people to vote. They want fewer people to vote, and they only want their voters to vote. When you disrupt that, that math, right, when you disrupt that paradigm, you see the effects. I give you the red wave of 2022 that was barely a trickle. Yes. Right? That's because voters turned out for democracy. They turned out uh, and turned against illiberal behavior um, and not giving MAGA the win. Now, more than ever, that's what the 2024 election will be about, not just at the federal level, but at the state levels, as more and more states take into consideration legislation around cannabis, legislation around health care, legislation around educational reforms, legislation around voting reforms. Court just recently this week basically gutted Article 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Just complete, basically, we don't have a Voting Rights Act anymore, right? So what do we do? What what where where do you think that now gets reinforced? It's got to be at the state and local level. Um, and if you have an anti-democratic, anti-voter legislature, when you go to the ballots box in this November November of twenty four, November of twenty five, November twenty six, because every year there's an election, people. Every year there's an election. They're off your elections. And they're they're you know sort of the main the big ones the big presidential elections, but in between those there you know elections we just saw that play out in the state of Virginia. Virginia had elections this year, and what happened? Because of illiberal behavior among Republicans in the Virginia legislature, and they were trying to get the House and the Senate because they had the governorship. The voters said no. Why? because they want to institute a six-week ban on abortion. And so whatever that issue is for you that strikes against your, your liberty and your, your freedom interest, 
you're in the game mm -hmm. and you have to vote because if you don't, I don't want to hear you bitch about what happens to you afterwards. Isn't that the truth? And, and even, you know, the smaller elections are not small because that's, that's when a lot of the, the stuff that impacts our civil liberties gets snuck in yeah. because they count yeah. on that you're not showing up. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Well, when we're looking at this election cycle that that's coming up and we're seeing some of the debates, um, what do you think, like with, with more and more states having medical problems, Pro problems, medical programs. There are problems, but we're talking about the me medical cannabis programs. Right. Um, and also um, adult use or recreational use in a lot of the states. Now we're looking at half the states. What do you, mm -hmm. what do you see the impact on elections? Do you think it's going to be a conversation? I know on the state level, there will definitely be conversations about it. But on the national level, do you think we'll be seeing more conversations around it. Oh, I, I think we will. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we absolutely will for a host of reasons because folks are engaging on this issue. They're looking around at other states and seeing a great deal of movement. Uh, certainly, uh, you now have at the federal level conversations around banking uh, reform. You have conversations around excuse me, um, full legalization, um, uh, meaning rescheduling um, cannabis from its current, um, uh, you know, designation as, a, as an illegal substance. So you've got these two things happening at the federal level. At the state level, you see more and more engagement uh, around recreational use, you see more and more engagement around medicinal use and combinations thereof. So there is movement in this industry in a very um, important way. It is informing up uh, a federal response. Uh, the Biden administration at the beginning was very much set against any banking reforms and certainly full legalization. That has now softened. Um, and you're going to see uh, continue to see uh, this issue as a ballot issue in a number of states. And even where it is not on the ballot, it is going to be an issue that drives voter thinking um, uh, with regard to, going back to what I just said, who's in power? Is there someone on the ballot who, while cannabis per se is not on the ballot, but is noted to be against my interest in cannabis? Do I vote for that person or do I vote against them? Do I support them because I support they support, you know, lowering taxes or curbing inflation? But on this issue, uh, they want to hinder my 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 rights there or um, my freedoms there. People make those types of choices, and so it will inform how voters behave ultimately and how they look uh, at candidates going forward on this issues. And candidates, to that point, are starting to find a softer position if they've been hard asses in the past, um, because they recognize where the trend line is going. So yeah, I think I think there's, there's going to be a lot of movement. I think like abortion, cannabis will be on the ballot in 2024. I think you will see my prediction is that you're going to get one or probably one, not necessarily both, but one of those two pins to drop um, 
either uh, full full legalization or banking. I think banking will probably go um, uh, second. I think you have to you have to legalize it before you allow the banking system to fully take in those dollars. So I think I think you're going to see some movement in that space. And would not be surprised if they both went together. If there is some level of compromise. Um, to 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 take both of those uh, at the same time and and combine them um, in a package, uh, but there. My point being, there's a lot of room. There's a lot of mobility, and and a number of us are carefully monitoring and and in in quiet ways having conversations um, with in and outside of the administration on Capitol Hill and off the Hill about how that process looks and, and unfolds. So I think I think 24, the first quarter 24 will, will bring some pretty interesting um, uh, opening salvos in the cannabis discussion as states, more and more states continue to wrap up uh, their involvement in the industry. Yeah, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars are are spent are spent or that their expenses for actually having banking in the cannabis industry if you can get it they, yeah the way that it's it's done is just extraordinarily expensive and then on top of it the fact that we have these two, the 280e issue where you can't you can't claim all the things for your business if you're well in that's cannabis. that's an important I'm glad you read I, I was I should have mentioned that when I was just speaking because I'm glad you brought that up because the 280e issue is probably one of the one of the most important linchpins um for the industry as a whole because if it passes when it not if when it passes you're looking at a growth in the industry of multiples of five, seven, 10, 15 percent that instantly. I mean, just overnight, um, because then you can you can process credit cards. You can you can you know, I mean, it's a cash business. And uh, think about how much business you aren't doing because people don't want to walk around with that kind of cash in their pockets to begin with um, to go. Uh, shopping uh, at a cannabis dispensary um, and what you can do with electronic transactions. Um, now suddenly websites start popping. People can can purchase um, that way. And so it just that whole that whole the whole industry changes on 280. It just does. And then you layer into that the ability to because that that ties into the federal banking system piece. So now those deposits that you have have a nice uh, FDIC insured location to go to. <laughs> uh, what a dream. They're no, <laughs> right, they're no longer in your basement <laughs> or in your back office. <laughs> and you're telling people, no, you can't go in that room, you know, because uh, you know, it's wall to wall cash. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, you know, it changes the game um, completely, I think, for the industry. And I think in in one real sense, and I, I really want to put a pin in this point, because it's important for those of you in the industry right now to understand, it is a it is a moment of maturity when that happens. It is a moment of responsibility. You're now on, the, on a level playing field with every other merchant, merchant in, in the country. Everyone else who's in the economic ecosystem uh, doing business online, doing business via credit cards, doing business in the banking system. You're now in play. And so you've got to be prepared to be a responsible player in that industry. 
uh, in, in that ecosystem. So it is a maturing moment, I think, for the cannabis industry when that happens. And we need to show our gratitude by behaving maturely. <laughs> that is <laughs> right? the truth. And, is- and, and taking seriously the responsibility that's being given to, because it is a risk. It is a risk for, uh, for government to do this because they know not everyone in the country is down with the growth of cannabis, down with uh, opening up the industry as a legitimate business. Um, and so there will be a lot of enemies who will look for reasons and moments to say, see, I told you so. Uh, and then that begins the clawback, the restrictions. Um, not to say that there may be some initially, which wouldn't surprise me if there are, right? Some small limitations here and there, um, maybe a cap on the amount that can be charged, things like that. We don't know. But if there are, you're going to, your maturity is going to help remove those limitations. And your, your lack of maturity will not only enhance those limitations, but potentially add more. Right. So it's, it's important to, to understand exactly what the risk and the rewards are here, I think, as an industry. Um, once we turn those corners on 280E, on legalization, banking, et cetera. Yeah, it's there's there's a, a lot of things to take into consideration with that. And I think, you know, with that being available, I mean, right now at least in California especially, we're seeing a lot of a lot of robberies, a lot of people breaking in, breaking and entering and, you know, getting into the safe and stealing product, but more than anything, getting into the safe. And right. to be able to have like in better insurance coverage to deal with loss, have more responsive, um, just more response from law enforcement, because even at this point, you know, it's, it's not a priority because it's not taken seriously, I think on a federal level. And then also looking at the, the generational wealth portion of it too. But like the last time that we were talking, we were talking about how cannabis is really a bipartisan issue and that and you had mentioned that if more of your colleagues actually admitted to supporting it, we would be seeing a different landscape. How do you think that's changing? Do you believe that's changing? It's, it's slowly changing. I, I think if more of my colleagues were honest about their their personal support for it, um, yeah, um, because more of them do support it, but they, they represent interests that... Um, requires that they pretend that they don't. Um, that's not leadership. Uh, it's why we see ourselves in, in a, a number of positions that we find ourselves today on a host of issues because of the lack of leadership. I think you'll find, though, that as, as you know, somebody wants someone else to sort of open the door first. It's, it's, like, it's like going into a haunted room. It's like, okay, you go in and let me know it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. I don't hear you scream, then I'll come in. Uh, you know, so that that's kind of what this is like for for members in my party. Is like, okay, you you guys, you go out in front on this, and if no one cuts your head off and I don't see blood on the floor, then I'll I'll, I'll happy to join you. But so it's it's there. I think that you know. The Biden administration moves however they move, but I think they will move in a positive direction towards cannabis. I, I don't think, I think you will see 
Um, yeah, you'll get some pop up of noise about it, but I don't think you'll see this wholesale. Oh hell no, we're not doing that. People will be going, okay, good, all right, fine. So, and then you know, then then it'll be boiled down to, okay, do do we have the votes? So if we got the votes, I can vote no, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so that's that's you know, we've all seen that before with various pieces of legislation where everybody's working to make sure. So y'all got the votes to pass this because we really want to pass it, but I can't vote for it, right? Right. Um, and so I need that cover. Um, that's fine. I don't care how we get there from the, from the political, uh, sort of policy standpoint. I just want us to get there. I think the industry should, uh, certainly continue to play an active role in informing and educating members of Congress and members of their state legislature. Uh, again, this is part of the, the maturing and the adult responsibility we have in the industry, um, to make sure that, um, people take us seriously and they see us as serious about this, that we don't want this to be uh, a substance that is abused. We recognize it has healing and medicinal uses for grandma, because trust me, your grandma gonna love you a lot more, baby, when you bring it over on Thanksgiving. All right, so we just know how that is, right? So we all know, but we also have a responsibility in the knowing to make sure that others know as well. And they know to the same degree and level that we do and understand this. It may not necessarily generate agreement all the time where they're going to, even in the knowing, agree, but you do wanna create a space in which uh, their lack of agreement is not so much an obstacle. Um, and and that you know there is a recognition that yes, the force is with you on this. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not a part of that force, but I know the force is with you. And so that's that's okay space for for the cannabis business. That's an okay space to be in. You don't want to be in a space where people say, uh, the force may be with you, but I've got a bigger force. I've got a stronger force, and um, we're gonna fight you tooth and nail. That generally has not been the proposition that we've seen across the country. Uh, certainly not in ballot initiatives, um, even though some may have tried to demonize it that way. Citizens, through proper education and information, and probably their own personal use uh, mm. experience, um, know otherwise. And so, all of those, all of those tools, all of those things become tools in the conversation. I think, um, and so I think there's, a, I think there's, a, a, there are exciting days ahead. I just, I keep raising up. Uh, as as a yellow flag uh, for no other reason than is remind us to be smart about how we how we talk about this and how we protect each other in the industry and how we uh, uh, make sure that um, our products are are not abused and misused because we can't afford because um, you know, I just give you we saw what happened with Tylenol right. 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 We can't afford that with this up uh, with this uh, with this uh, product. And so um, it's about how we are smart in every aspect of the business um, related to cannabis. Yeah. We have to have balanced conversations because yeah. we, we see both sides of it. There's there are the stigma filled conversations. And then there are the conversations of, you know, I, I appreciate the enthusiasm of some of my colleagues, but the fact that they're like, you know, 
they're talking about all the great things, but they're not they're not setting expectations. And you got oh, that's so important, Sarah. Set the expectation and set that bar the right way. Yeah. Um, so I, I literally had that conversation this morning um, with uh, a cannabis company that I'm involved with, where it was like, you know, my partners and I were like, let's set the expectations right mm-hmm. up front mm-hmm. um, for, on every aspect of the business because you have to be uh, self-aware and you have to be smart about what's going on around you in the land of the politics, but more especially in the land of the community, um, more broadly speaking, because there's still, you know, churches and other groups out there that are not a fan and and you've got to deal with that. Uh, You've got politicians who listen to those groups. You got to deal with that. Um, and you've got to be forthright in your understanding and appreciation um, of even though X may have happened, legislation got passed, ballot initiative was supported by the voters, you still have to be responsible and you still have to meet expectations because there are those out there looking for you to fail. Right, right. And then there are the expectations for for the government like earlier this year on on two separate episodes i had representative lee and representative blumenauer the two co-chairs of the congressional cannabis caucus on Mm -hmm. and one of the things i was mentioning and you and i have discussed some of this is around taxation because as we know when we get into legalization on a federal level there will be more conversations about taxation but like in states like California, the issues with taxation and the price of doing business are so high that when California government says, why do we have this really large, you know, illicit slash traditional market? It's like, well, if you don't give people the opportunity to do the business, you, right. they're going to do it in other ways. You've really, you've really taxed them into a black market. You've, you, the legislature has created the black market. If you're lucky, it's a gray market, but more often than not, it's a black market. And um, and you're not reaping the full benefits of your tax policy because you have come in so heavy handed. And then, of course, Sarah, as you know, if you layer on top of that federal taxes, then then you are you are absolutely forcing um, uh, the industry to have to deal with an underground community that will emerge or in most cases not go away because the goal of legalization is to dissipate and to break up the illegal markets that are out there uh, and to bring them into the light and to bring them into the fullness of conversation about legitimizing that business. Um, So yes, sir, I know you, you know, you were doing this from your, you know, you've got a little garden operation in your backyard up in the mountains um so now let's talk about bringing that out out of out of the shadows and into the legitimate light of of uh, a full cannabis market so you should be a grower right you should now incorporate do your thing and just do it right so the, the goal is to sort of pull all these pieces out but it is incredibly important for legislators to understand that this, you may see this as a cash cow, but it isn't. It's just an industry. Margin, it's a, Right, exactly. The margins aren't what you think they are. 
um, and and that you just can't you know say we're going to tax we're going to tax at the local level at twenty percent at the state level at thirty percent and the feds come in and say we want twenty five percent so now I'm being taxed at a total of seventy five percent on a dollar and I'm trying to grow a business. It, you know, so it's again going back to the maturity conversation is how we maturely inform and be a part of as these things open, uh, helping the states uh, and the feds understand how their actions create and destroy markets, um, create and destroy an underground uh, economy. Um, and so it's it's an important part of the conversation that can't be lost to folks. And we have a number of examples, starting with California, um, that we can look at to see where that public policy sometimes doesn't hit the, the right mark um, uh, out of the box. So, well, here's to hoping. Here's to hoping. <laughs> now, he, here's here's to hard work. Yeah, uh, true. Because that's what it's going to take, and 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 that's how the hope is going to get realized is the hard work of of keeping um, all of that in the front of mind as you're as we're kind of watching this thing evolve even more um, rapidly than I think. I mean, you think about the conversation we had a year ago and where we are now. Um, you know, since that time, my state's come online full into rec, and we're now going through all of that process. So it's, you know, that's that's the story of this industry. There's continual movement and growth. Um, and so, you know, the hope rests in the realization due to hard work. And that, and that hard work includes pretty much everything we talked about. Yeah. Well, I, I'm... I'm down for the hard work. I, I yeah, know, exactly, exactly. I know you are too. <laughs> yes, let's get it done. Let's get her done. Yeah, really. Oh, Michael, it's it's always always a pleasure catching up with you. And then I love like I like I sent you that email. I was like, I loved seeing you on MSNBC. I'm like, I'm seeing my new favorite anchor. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> No, I appreciate it so much. It's good to connect back and to be to be in conversation with again. Let's let's certainly stay in touch and and I look forward to, you know, as things as we get into the first quarter of next year, we should plan to get back on and and sort of give an assessment of where things are because I think we'll see some movement by, you know, late March, April next year. Yeah. Um, and you know, you'll be in the full-throatedness of the political season which always forces politicians to behave one way or the other rationally or irrationally depending on the subject but <laughs> you know i think that this is going to create some kind of movement that'll be interesting to watch how it plays out yeah it's a it's a very exciting time not only for you know cannabis but just all all the uh, the things that are coming into being a citizen in, in our our great country yes yes absolutely Thank you so much, Absolutely. Michael. And I'm looking Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to next time. Me too. And everyone remember, Planted is twice a month. And if you like listening, please 
give us a review, share it with a friend, let us know what your favorite episodes are. And if you'd like to stay in touch over social media, we are Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook and Planted with Sarah on Instagram and Twitter. You can also go to our website, www.plantedwithsarah.com, or listen to us on our parent network, Radio Misfits Network, where there are other great podcasts like one of my favorites, the Winemakers Podcast. So check it out. You can listen to Planted wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, whether that's Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, Stitcher. Tune in. We are there. So join us. And until next time, stay curious, stay safe. And remember, it's a wild world out there. Be good to one another. Until next time, take care. 